Oh my 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 oh my my oh my 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 July. Yes, apparently it is July, but it doesn't fucking look like it out there, does it? For I don't know the last month. Hello and welcome to episode eighty-three of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host Fergal Trainer, and to cheer you all up on this miserable rainy Wednesday afternoon, well, at least in Ireland, I have with me. In theory, we spoke last week, but on this episode, my guest is Tom Hewson, the bass player, founding member, and driving force behind the band Tailgunner, who you will have heard about recently, because they're everywhere. The name on everybody's lips, the band of the hour, the band with the power too sweet to be sour. And Tom himself has more interesting things to say than regurgitated catchphrases from superstar Billy Graham. Yes, in fact... Far more interesting things. I learned a lot from listening to him, a band that has seemingly appeared out of nowhere. But of course, there's a lot more going on behind the curtain, behind the scenes. A lot of work and effort and restraint, patience and tact went into the release of Tailgunner's debut album, Guns For Hire, which was released a couple of weeks ago. And last week I spoke to Tom about all of this. But we also went back to the formation of the band, selecting band members, the recent departure of their guitarist, the release day of the album and the YouTube live session that they did, how that went, playing gigs, playing with KK Downing, upcoming gigs such as the likes of Keep It True on a UK tour and everything in between. This was a fantastic interview. Here's Tom Hewson from Tailgunner. All right, so uh, we have Tom here from Tailgunner, a band that's been making headlines in the heavy metal community recently. Welcome to Feckin' Metal, Tom. Hey, man. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I mentioned there you've been making headlines. The name Tailgunner has been popping up here, there, and everywhere recently, especially with the release of your first album, your debut album, Guns For Hire. And it's a name that I'd heard quite a lot, though, even prior to the album being released. You've been kind of been touted by a lot of people, including KK Downing as, you know, the one of the biggest acts coming out of the UK at the moment in the, what if you want to call it, the new wave of traditional heavy metal scene, the underground heavy metal scene. So I'd like to chat to you maybe about the formation of the band and how you got to the point where very recently you were supporting KK Downing and Paul Diano in KK Steel Mill. Um, but it started a few years uh, prior to this, back around 2018. So you mentioned yourself, I have a quote here from you that you wanted to start, hold on a second here, uh, put, I wanted to put together the band I've had in my head since I was a kid, the ultimate heavy metal band with no compromises. So this journey started in 2018. You left the band you were in at the time with this aim in mind. So can you give us a bit of background on that? Yeah, sure thing. I mean, I was doing something, you know, completely different really to Tailgunner. Um, and like all of the rest of the guys, I've been in and out of bands since I was a kid, since I started playing music. And... You know, never never really had any proper success. The last band I was in sort of had a deal and then didn't have a deal very quickly and uh, mm. never really went anywhere. And I was always, like, growing up and being a bass player, I was always quite happy to call, like, the Cliff Williams role, like an ACDC, is just stand at the back, <laughs> play the bass <laughs> as well as I could and let everyone else get on with all the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the fans and stuff. And no one else ever really got on with it so in the end i you know i got so sick of that that i was like fuck it i'm just i've had you know maybe it's the idea for tail gunner or whatever but this sort of band in my head since i was like 11 or 12 when i first got into music and the all the bands that i thought were the coolest um you know growing up so i was like fuck it if if i'm gonna do this again and this was being at the time when i was like 23 i was like okay so if it takes take sort of five years or so to get a band off the ground if i'm 
I'm not really going to get another opportunity to do this after properly. So this has to be like the full the thing and just go for it. And that's what I mean with, you know, no apologies, no compromises and just do exactly the thing that I always wanted to do. And, you know, if it works, brilliant. And if it doesn't, at least I fucking tried. So, yeah. like you say, it was it was 2018. And, um, you know, I, I left my last band. Um, I'd been was that a metal band? Recording riffs on my phone. It wasn't a metal band, no. It was a kind of... So I, I grew up, like, playing in rock bands. And then, naively, when I was, like, 18, kind of thought that I'd, you know experienced everything locally to me that I could do in rock and the, the types of musicians and things. Um, and that was, it wasn't, it wasn't the correct point of view. It was just what I'd always been used to with people locally that they never really, you know, wanted to put the time in or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always, I've always been quite into like the other side of the eighties with say like post-punk gothy stuff, you know, yeah. crazy guitar sounds. And mm-hmm. I wanted to just try and do something completely different um and anyway it it didn't didn't work out but that was that was fun for a few years and uh yeah when when i started to put tailgunner together like i'd never been the songwriter in bands like i said i was was happy to do like the the stand at the back role cliff williams Um, yeah so i yeah exactly so i spent spent some time just trying to teach myself to write songs and to see if i could do it um the first proper metal song that i ever wrote was shadows of war that's why it it opens the album um and then yeah like late 2018 that was when i started to reach out to other people and speak to people and see if they might be interested in this new thing that i was putting together brilliant it's funny you mentioned cliff williams because i was listening to episode one of your own podcast which you you have out there and uh you mentioned that you were watching school of rock when you were when you were in school like last day of term type of thing and uh, you went home home yeah. with the the riff of Deep Purple Smoke in the Water, and then your dad played you Back in Black, and that was really kind of your eureka moment for getting into like hard rock slash heavy metal. A hundred percent. That that was the light bulb moment. It was like you know, I'd describe it as that that fucking scene in The Wizard of Oz when it goes from black and white into color, like here in ACDC <laughs> for the first time. That's how that's how yeah. life felt from that moment. You know, brilliant. Okay, uh, so ACDC a big influence on you then. Yeah, definitely. I mean, not so much with with Tailgunner, but just generally growing up, they were like when I was a kid, and you know, still today, they're just like one of the ultimate rock and roll bands for me. Certainly are. Okay, so just to mention, sorry, the name of that is uh, In for the Kill, the Tailgunner podcast. But anyway, we're we're skipping ahead here. So that's obviously twenty twenty three, and we're still in twenty eighteen. So you were you wanted to put together this band. Basically, you left your previous band. You you were doing flyers. You were posting stuff on social media. Presumably, you were doing a lot of tryouts. Yeah, you mentioned it took you two years to find the best musicians. So how many people did you have to go through to get to a lineup that was stable enough to record an album or at least a few singles initially? Well, I mean, it's funny you, you say doing a lot of tryouts, but it wasn't really the case. There was a few, but it was more trying to get anyone interested. Um, All right, okay. <laughs> yeah, like basically, I wrote I wrote the first couple of songs, which were "Shadows of War" and "Guns for Hire," and um, I still wasn't planning to be the songwriter for the band because I'd never done it before. Mm. So I was hoping yeah. to find someone that could be that guy. But I said to myself, well, if I'm going to have anything to show to anyone, then I have to write, you know, one or two songs to say this is the thing that I'm going for. So I, I yeah. wrote the War Guns for Hire. And then 
started to to speak to people online to other musicians that i thought were cool and see if you know people would be interested and like you say put flyers up in guitar shops in metal bars all across instagram and facebook and um that was how i found our singer craig actually because this this is like late 2018 his last band midnight prophecy followed me on instagram and i was like oh who are these guys and i had a look and i saw a photo of the band and I thought, that guy looks cool like i wonder what he does realized he was the singer and went and found his page and he had a, a link to a youtube covers channel and the first thing i listened to was a cover of 22 acacia avenue by maiden yeah and it's like when it mm -hmm. when it into the high part like that was i was just blown away and like i, I called my girlfriend and i was like i found the fucking singer and she was like oh it says that he's in another band and i was like don't worry about that like he is the, he is going to be the singer um <laughs> he might think he's in I, another band but not for long yeah exactly <laughs> i um I, I messaged craig and he was like i'm too busy man like i'm sorry and i was like okay could you at least put vocals on this demo that i've made and then i can show that to other people and at least like set a bar for whatever singer i find and he was like yeah yeah sure so around this time a friend of zach's our guitarist got in touch with me and he said hey like my friend zach plays in a in a band their bass player's just left you know maybe you should talk to him um mm. so you know again that, that guy looks cool he looks like he knows what he's doing spoke to zach and basically i was like i'm not interested in joining your band and again he said no like i'm too busy yeah and you know the same with Craig. i said to him well could you at least play on this demo so the first tail gunner demo was like some program drums me playing bass zach on guitar and craig on vocals and it, you know it's not too dissimilar to what ended up being on the album just obviously a lot more raw you know once once i had zach's playing on there and craig's vocals it was in my mind maybe not they didn't know but in my mind i was like i'm i can't find anyone else for this like it has to be these guys right yeah fair enough that was a, around the time that i met pat as well um at club night in london you know i'd seen his playing on on social media and stuff knew that he was a great guitar player uh, and spoke to him same again he was in a band um and it was basically a case of waiting for all of their bands to just break up for like that couple of years yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know and as soon as that happened be on the phone and be like hey you know you, you remember, yeah. remember thing um and it was really like once i got pat on board then i could convince zach and then once i got zach i could convince craig and say look if you join now we just have to find a drummer yeah yeah and um although they're band, traditionally yeah, kind of the hardest to find aren't they I, I think singers for this style of music really yeah just because okay i think the sort of metal that we play the the vocals are like it's like olympic level singing as far as i'm concerned mm, yeah 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 um, so to find someone that can do it well is like especially in this day and age it's like mission impossible i'm sure there was more of them around in in the age just because the genre was was big or whatever sure okay so you've got the band together you'd used your persuasion techniques to convince people you had strokes of luck people's bands broke up that type of thing so uh, this was 2018 so like what's happened in 2019 2020 what what kind of t activities are taking place around then so that whole thing with making the demo and waiting and things took until like the autumn of 2019 so it was october november 2019 that 
Craig, Zach and Pat were all, you know, joining the band. Um, and then you get into 2020, we had a first get together uh, with like the drums on, on the PA, just like a drum machine. Uh, yeah. Just a few songs and like, you know, worked out the vibe and sounded really, really cool. And this is at this point, Craig is still in Midnight Prophecy. And he calls me up like January 2020 and says, hey, we, we have this UK tour um, opening for another band. But basically, we've had to part ways with our bass player. And I was like, OK, um, he's like, would you would you be in for, you know, up filling in for the tour? So, yeah, sure. You know, they were kind enough to, like, allow Craig the time to do the tail gunner thing. So I was like, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll help you out around this time one of their guitarists leaves. So I call Craig and I yeah. say, hey, what, what about Zach? And obviously, Sam comes from Midnight Prophecy too. So at this point, it's like you basically have Tail Gunner without Pat, but playing a completely mm -hmm. different style of music and set of songs. Like they're a lot more like the epic metal thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But we go up to Liverpool, me and Zach, and meet Sam in the evening. We had to, well, we had to wait until four in the morning for him to finish work because he works on a on a bar in the middle of the city, and it was pissing yeah, down with yeah. rain. So we were just walking around Liverpool, like you know, smoking a joint and walking a lap of the city and smoking another one and walking around until about four in the morning, waiting for mm. Sam. Um, had a couple of hours sleep and then went into the rehearsal room with them and ran through the set for the tour. And that was when I noticed what a good player Sam is. And especially with me, yeah. like the bass player, you know straight away in like a rhythm section if if things yeah, are clicking sure, yeah, yeah. and you know accenting the same things. And that's when I began to think, okay, like this this guy could be the drummer, but I didn't want to share uh, two members with a different band, especially if me and Zach were then also filling in, because then it's like you have the same band but with different songs. Would would have been very yeah, weird. Yeah. Um. And then, like I say, they, they split up in the summer of 2020. So I called Sam. We were on the phone for hours. And then he, he joined the band. And that's how it, it came together fully in, like, August 2020. Okay. So from the ashes of Midnight Prophecy rises the phoenix of Tailgunner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So 2021, getting stuff ready, uh, getting the band ready. I know you were doing some videos and stuff like that, rehearsals. And then by t January 2022, you released Guns For Hire, your first single. Um, you followed that up with several other songs, Revolution Scream, Shadows of War, uh, Crash Die VP, and later White Death. So you kind of went on a quick fire release schedule there um, at that point. So you're obviously quite confident with the lineup, uh, with your recording. It was kind of all guns blazing from 2022 onwards. Yeah, that was, that was always the plan, really. Like once we put the band together, we spent a year and a half, well, the rest of 2020, just rehearsing and getting things ready to record and then we we made this album january 2021 so as soon as the album was recorded then we went and shot videos and we spent all of 2021 just as you say getting all the bits and pieces ready so mm. that come last year we could just hit it hard like every single month so so the album has been sitting in the can since 2021 yeah the album was recorded two and a half years ago Jesus like Christ. before we even, and how sorry go on before we had a label or anything like 
yeah so because has that been frustrating to know that you had the full thing recorded and it's going to take like x amount of time to release or like did vinyl production and stuff hold it up or what were the main things that stopped it from being released for for that period of time it wasn't it wasn't so much that anything stopped it it was just this was around the time we were always planning to put the full thing out because we always wanted to launch the band right at the start of 2022 so that we could have the time to get everything ready and then we didn't want to put the band out into the world and straight away have an album because realistically if we'd have done that like very few people would have really cared sure yeah so we needed that time to to build up the fan base and stuff and then once we we signed the the deal about a year ago now um in our minds it was like okay we're gonna go now and put out the album yeah and their idea was let's compile the singles that you've done independently into an ep mm. then we can use that ep to go and get your name in the press and start to like build this awareness in people's minds yeah so it was it was just about putting the album out at the point where everything has sort of like aligned and especially for us like doing that kk show as the last gig before the album yeah. dropped was like that that was a really good point to be at. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of forethought put into that, like meticulously planned and executed uh, up till now anyway. So that's it, that's something that you don't necessarily always see from an up-and-coming band. Um, how did you know to approach it like that? Was that instinct or what kind of helped you make those decisions? So between when I left my last band, um, like summer 2018, and Hail gonna really coming together like late 2019, early 2020. I spent that year and a half, like I didn't go to uni or anything like that, but just, you know, online and at home and things, like just learning as much about the music industry as I could. Yeah. Um, certainly don't fucking know everything because it changes all the time, but that, that like 18 month period was really, really important to what we've been able to do the last 18 months so at this point now you're very far removed from the cliff williams role you're you're in the steve harris role at this stage <laughs> mixed with a bit of rod small yeah, by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> trying my best not to but it, that seems to be the way that everything's gone yeah but uh, so so you said you were learning about the music industry that's you know fair enough but like what actually did you research or what what did you consult to learn about the music industry Oh, everything, man. Everything that I could from, you know, single release strategies and how to do social media and, you know, things that work for the algorithm and things that don't and how to effectively book a tour and how to promote a tour and any anything I could. And I think that's why after we put out Guns For Hire, we announced the first UK tour. It was only five days, yeah. but like the next day, and then we managed to sell out a couple of those shows. And certainly without that that time that I'd taken to learn the shit, that would never have happened. It would just never have worked. Yeah. So like, it's something that I definitely recommend to people, you know, people that want to do this sort of thing is like, you're in my mind, and it's not for everyone, don't get me wrong, but your band should begin like a year, year and a half before anyone even knows about your band. Yeah. You know? Sure. Okay. And very interesting. Okay. So I mentioned the Tailgunner podcast. You started that back in March of this year and you did a re-release of the Crash Dive EP 
back in May, a couple of months ago. Uh, you previously released that, of course. Uh, also in May, you parted ways with your guitarist. Uh, so that was uh, Patrick or Pat. I know there was kind of some controversy surrounding that, etc. Uh, well, how how difficult was that decision? I know you go way back. Um, it wasn't difficult from like a band perspective. It was a shame because you know he was my friend and everything. But uh, as far as the band's concerned, it was it was very quick and easy, you know, for better or for worse. Um, it had been something that, like I've said, you know, in, in other interviews and things now, Pat as a person, like we could get on with him and things. But as a band member, the bigger the band became, the harder he was to work with. Um, it's like you say, with, with the album and things and his playing, it's like, three tracks on that album are just zach yeah and a lot of the a lot of the guitar parts the rhythm parts and things and other songs that were pat's parts are also zach because like in the studio he wouldn't he wouldn't get up in time to record he wouldn't show up for the sessions to finish three songs so it was once the thing happened with um you know his behavior and things that led to us having to part ways with him it was like it was more the final straw mm. than anything. But you know, it's it's a shame what how what happened and how things developed over the years. But you know, it's not anyone's fault but himself, unfortunately. Yeah, and it, it was it difficult to separate business from friendship in that situation. It's I'm guessing it's something you hadn't been faced with in the past. I mean, again, with a lot of the things that we put up with, certainly in like the last year or so from him. Um, when, you know, it's difficult because you're friends with someone, but if you know that they're, you know, constantly lying to you about certain things, then it gets to the point where, like, anyone would kind of stop caring. Mm, okay, I got you. All right, okay, so Pat's on the way out, but you've advertised now for a new guitarist. Uh, in between times, Rhea, or Rhea, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, Rhea Thompson is filling in on live duties. Yeah, she's... She- Smashing it. I've I've watched a few live videos online uh, from Wildfire Festival and Call of the Wild Festival, I think, as well. Um, so <laughs> there's uh, some great videos up there, and she like she's quite young, isn't she? Early twenties. She's nineteen. She just turned nineteen. Nineteen, right? Okay, okay, nineteen, right? Um, how did the, how did you come across her? Uh, she did used to play in a band called Riot Eye, um, who were like a kind of sleazy punk band. They opened for us in Liverpool on the tour last year and totally blew us away. Like thought they were the coolest thing ever. And, um, you know, noticed that she was like pretty good at guitar, but we didn't notice how good she really was. And then we, we fired Pat on the Monday and then call of the wild, which at that point was our biggest show was on the Sunday. So everyone's like panicking, basically trying to find Mm. anybody that could like step up and, and learn our show, which, you know, they're not super easy songs and like be ready to go and play this big show with us on the Sunday. And Rio, like from the first second was like, yeah, I can do it. No problem. And I was like, okay, like try and learn a few songs and send us a video. And like the next day she'd learned like three or four songs and sent shit over. And we were like, damn, she's yeah. playing them properly. And actually what's, what's been quite nice. And it's, this isn't like a, a dig or anything like that. It's just it's just a fact is she's playing a lot of the parts as I wrote them and as they are on the album that Pat actually didn't play live. 
So like the rest of us, the other four, when we got to that first rehearsal, we were like, shit, like we forgot that the guitar is actually supposed to sound like that and things. So okay. that was yeah. that was really, really cool. And the yeah. whole time as well, she's not just on the stage, but she's just super professional to work with. And especially being so young, it's like really, really cool. Very good. Um, is there any chance that she might become the full-time guitarist or is that not on the table at all? There's a chance. She's in the mix. Um, we're going to audition people the end of this month, so a couple of weeks' time. Um, there's a few guys in the mix. Um, we'll, we'll see, basically. It's like we're being as, as open and honest with Rhea as we can be, and it's like, you know, you don't marry the first person that you jump into bed with. So, <laughs> you know, let's let's see how these other people are and, and stuff. But, yeah, Rhea's definitely in the mix. Fair enough. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you played the Killmister stage at the Call of the Wild Festival in uh, Lincolnshire. Uh, how was that? That seems to be the main stage of the festival, is it? Yeah, it was the main stage, yeah. it was. That was crazy, really. Um, it's nice as well, especially, you know, because in, in Europe, there's more chance of, like, this old-school metal being put onto these bigger festivals and things. Yeah. It doesn't happen so much in Britain. I know, yeah. And for to take a chance on us and especially like you know we were doing well seven months ago or whatever when they made the offer but we were still very much like we just signed the deal or whatever um so the for them to believe in us was really really cool yeah and like i say at that point it was the biggest show to date we were all you know pretty nervous we'd managed to run through the set like a couple of times the day before with ria but for the whole pat thing to be so fresh it was like Everyone was a little bit on edge, and mm. if anything, that's just added to the show. Because once yeah. you get out there and you get like into that first song, it's like, okay, here we go, like we're back, which was yeah, really, yeah. really nice. Pretty and uh, I got to, I got to play Lemmy's bass at that festival as well, which was super cool. No way! How did you get a hold of that? So they had um, Lemmy's bar, like the pop up bar that appears mm. around the place um, on the site, and in the bar they have one of his old bases and murder one as well so it yeah. was like for a for a kid's charity it was like a couple of quid and then you could play the bass ah sorry okay so you you have a little go on the bass you weren't playing it on stage no i wasn't playing on stage. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay <laughs> oh that's yeah. it's still it's still great that you got to play yeah. it sorry but i, I misunderstood no, no. you for a second there yeah i wish i wish <laughs> Uh, no, that's great. Eh? Yeah, that's good. I mean, not many people can say they played Lemmy's bass. Um, okay, and then you played the Wildfire Festival in Scotland on uh, 23rd of June. So a few different dates happening over the summer. And then uh, on the 6th of July, which I mentioned earlier, of course, you supported KK's Priest and Paul Diano at KK Steel Mill. How did that offer come about? Who contacted whom? Um, They got in touch with us. So it was actually KK's manager, Art. He dropped us an email Um. And the title of the email was just KK Downing. Hmm. And we were in the car driving up to Liverpool to shoot the video that we just put out for New Horizons. Um, and I saw the title of the email and I was like, what the, f what the fuck is that? And then your mind's racing about all this, all this stuff that it could be. And I was like, I'm not going to open it until I get there with the rest of the guys and then we'll find out. Yeah. And I thought it was just going to be someone like, oh, I, I do art for you know the album or something like if you need out let me know whatever um and then we opened the email and it said like hey guys like i manage kk downing mm. kk your band would you be interested in, in opening for his the first kk's pre-show and yeah you know for us, like having 
having someone from Judas Priest and like the legend that KK Downing is dig what we do is like it's mind blowing really it's like one of the greatest you know thumbs up that we could possibly get so and did they mention to you ever uh, how they came across you or where they have heard your music first no <laughs> no and I forgot to ask as well you know you're so so yeah. caught up with everything yeah but yeah, yeah. I, I think it's one of those things where you realize that the industry is a smaller place than than you think mm. and you're only ever you know, someone could see you on Instagram that you know does his press or whatever and go oh you've seen these guys this is cool and then you know that's it you you're there straight away so yeah well i have to yeah, say I completely I, I, sorry to interrupt you sir i'm just gonna say i completely respect his decision to pick a band like tail gunner to support rather than what the likes of iron maiden do with lord of the lost or steve harris's offspring um which everyone is tired of seeing i think <laughs> you know we want to see I, I an said, up-and-coming band i said this to him actually and I don't know if he quite got it because maybe he's just not that aware of of the other stuff. But like I said, to have someone from, you know, your stature and your generation of metal actually want to help the new generation of, you know, underground new British metal bands is like really, really cool because no one else really does that. No. So it was, you know, and just to say thank you to to him for that was was really really nice nobody at his level i don't think um and he's got the whole kk steel mill and he's run a load of different gigs there as well and i think that was the whole inspiration behind opening that to begin with was to showcase newer bands and i think he's he's a record label as well is he signing people to his record label i think he's he's setting up a label yeah from what i know he's setting up a label so that that's going to be really cool brilliant stuff um did you get to speak to kk and if so did he impart any words of wisdom on you yeah, um, I, I took him a little bit by surprise, actually, because I sort of walked past him in the backstage and the first thing I said was like, oh, hey, someone else in leather trousers. It was like, I bet you're <laughs> on the quid. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay. Um, nice yeah, opening yeah. line there, yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like, you don't want you don't want to be one of these guys, especially if you're on the show that's like, oh, my God, you know. Uh, I love you so much. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, had a chat with him, gave him a copy of the album, which was really nice. I saw um, a photo there, all right, yeah. Yeah, and he he basically said to us, "Don't sign anything, shit." Um, and he was like, "I think," which was really nice. He said to us, "Like, I think that you're going to be successful." And having someone like that say that to you is just that was pretty mind blowing. But then he was like, "Don't fucking sign anything." without properly reading it and if you mm. do sign something you probably still be successful you just won't make any money yeah yeah um so that that was you know the main the main message that we took away but it was cool because at that time as well like blaze bailey was there hanging out at the show oh yeah um and he, he actually asked us to sign a copy of the album which was pretty crazy and there was a moment where him and KK were stood looking through our album and going, oh, that's cool. And oh, I like that. And we were stood there like, is this, is this fucking real right now? You know, <laughs> yeah, I can only and, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Blaze, Blaze was saying to us like, cause um, you know, there's been a few people that we've been talking to about management and things. And he was like, you guys are obviously like, you're working really hard. And if there's someone that can't really do something that you can do yourself already, like, don't worry about it. Just just keep doing what you're doing, which was nice. Mm. So are you the de facto manager of the band? Maybe not in title, but in activity? Yeah, I am. Uh, 
pretty much everything. The the keeper of the seven keys for all things Tailgun. <laughs> well done. <laughs> all right. Uh, do you want that to continue, or do you want to offload that onto somebody else? Uh, I would like to offload that onto someone else eventually when it's the right person. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm happy with the way things have gone so far. Mm. It's going to come to a point where, well, it, it really, it's come to a point now where my experience and the things that I've learned can take us so far. And now for it to keep going as smoothly as it has, I need someone with that experience. Mm. Yeah. Like that—that's the reality of it. So, it's got to be the right person, and I'd rather, you know, be pulling my hair out, stressing, and you know, still running this thing than to hand it over to someone that I don't think believes in it as much as we do ourselves. You know. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. Um. All right. So I just wanted to have a look at a couple of songs you played, which um one was a surprise, one wasn't. So you're doing a cover of Randy Beast in the Night. Uh, so I heard you on the. Uh, I think it was the first episode of your podcast. You were saying this is obviously an obscure song. You know, five percent of the audience might get it and they'll absolutely love it. Ninety-five percent of the audience probably won't. We hope they love it. But because of the way you've approached everything so far, and I, I know you've played that song repeatedly, the, the way you've approached everything so far, uh, and it's kind of like meticulous. And I mean this in with no negative connotations, but it's almost calculated your approach in, mm-hmm. like in a good way. Playing a song like that, like, are, are you trying to appeal to the hardcore underground metal fan or are you trying to appeal to the masses? And if it's the latter, does playing a song like that that's really quite obscure, does that kind of muddy the waters a bit? It's both. Um, Metallica covered Diamond Head, right? And, like, no one really knew that when they were doing it in the clubs in America. Yeah, but I think... Metallica have gone on record as saying that they never told anybody about that and they hoped everyone would think it was their own original music because they had fuck all songs at the time. So, <laughs> Well, we, we don't say this is a cover. We're not trying to pass it off as our own, obviously. Yeah. But it's, it's a bit of both. Like, basically, it's a way of, if you've got those really hardcore metal fans in the crowd, like I said, the 5% of people that know that song, Mm. they all instantly love you because they go what the fuck they're playing the randy song like yeah 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 they, they can't believe that they went out to see a band and like that you know they played this song so that's really cool and then for the other 95 percent of the crowd it's a way hopefully of turning people on to a, a lot of the underground stuff from the 70s and 80s that never really got that big that is such an influence on us too and also, it's it's just a fucking killer song, and you know we we love playing it. So it is a great song. I mean, it is a great song. Um, okay, fair enough. And you also covered um, "Don't Talk to Strangers." I thought Craig did a really good job singing that. So that's kind of a more expected cover song. But um, is this to kind of flesh out your set, or to play something a little different, or maybe play something a little more familiar? In the case of the Dio song, of course. Uh, again, it's it's a bit of everything. Um, a cover always goes down well, you know, well, always goes down well if you play it well, obviously. Yeah. Um, it's a way of really, really, if people hadn't got the point from your own music of showing them exactly what you're about. Mm. Um, it's a way for us as well. And I think this is true for all the covers that we do is we, you know, we wear our influences and our love for heavy metal on our sleeves. You know, I think anyone that sees us in in a picture or live or whatever knows that 
And for us, it's just a way of fucking celebrating the music that we love as well. You know, mm. the EO thing was funny because we've been, we like to alternate the covers in our set. And this year we've been closing the show on Painkiller. And then it got right. like a few weeks out from, um, from the KK's pre-show. And we thought we can't fucking close on Painkiller because that would be like, <laughs> that would be like the ballsiest thing ever, right? That'd be and, shitting where you eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we probably wouldn't be invited back, huh? Yeah. Um, and so we thought, well, what else can we do? And, you know, it, it lined up nicely around the time of Dio's birthday, and he's another hero for us and everything. And for Craig, like, one of his biggest heroes, and I think that was a really nice moment for him getting to sing that song in front of, like, 2,000 people. And, you know, obviously everyone fucking knowing it because it's Dio. So that was it was a really nice thing to do for him as well. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, you got a bit of press recently uh, by Classic Rock Magazine, of all places, online. I'm sure you've seen it, of course. Or it was a Metal Hammer. I'm not sure. I know they're the same um, the same company, Louder Sound. Is yeah, the, no. It's the online presence there. Uh, they included you as part of 10 bands proving that Nawabam, new by British Heavy Metal, is still alive and kicking. And I thought it was interesting they mentioned Nawabam you know, rather mm. than just referring to the newer generation. But they threw you in there with the likes of uh, Witch Hazel, Eliminator, another band is really good. Um, and uh, then there's some older bands, Toledo Steel, then a newer band as well. Um, and I'm going to embarrass you now. I'm going to read out exactly what they said. I'm going to ask for your reaction to it. So uh, they said, KK Downing's hottest tip for the new generation of UK heavy metal, baby-faced whippersnappers, tail gunner, proudly wear their impeccable influences on their sleeves. Literally, their skeleton mascot is seemingly the bastard love child of Eddie and Vic Rattlehead. The multinational quartet have already proved themselves precociously adept with their energetic performances and bang-on-time, or bang-on, time-worth, tune-smithery. They're hitting the socials. Uh, sorry, they're hitting the socials hard with the self-promotional zeal of a young man of war and their imminent debut LP radiates confidence and panache. How was it to see that written about yourself? It was nice. It was nice. Obviously, the cool thing for us is getting a mention from Classic Rock and Metal Hammer in the UK. Um, I think that's the first time, that, well, certainly the first time we've been in Classic Rock and the first time we've been in Metal Hammer in the UK as well. And it's it's one of those little moments when, you know, you realise that you are starting to get noticed and, you know, by these these bigger bits of press as well. Um, it was cool, you know. We we appreciate, like, everyone that, that writes about us and, you know. the Like you say, the thing for me was the fact of the, the whole New Wobbin thing. Mm. Because I'm, I'm one of those people that it's like, no, New Wobbin was, like, 77 to about 83 yeah, and it's it's not necessarily like a genre; it's a sound. Uh, yeah. Sorry, it's not ne- it's not necessarily a genre or a sound. It was more just like you have loads of bands in that time. It was period. a period in time, yeah. Yeah, it's like if if people say I I understand, and I'm just being really really anal about this, but it's like if people say that you sound like New Album, it's like, well, do you mean Prey and Mantis or Venom? I you know, know exactly, yeah. And if you've got Venom but, and uh, Saracen or something, yeah, is another example. Yeah. Like Two completely yeah. different bands playing on the same bill. I've seen them on the same bill at Keep It True, but they nice. couldn't sound any more different from one another. Like, yeah, know? yeah. I mean, that, but that's the that's the beauty of that period of heavy metal as well. And I think that's something that we try and take, you know, a lot from because it's like I always say to people, we love Rainbow Rising, but we also love the Bathory debut, you know? As mm. the most people that listen to heavy metal, you know, you, you can like... You can like epic like power metal stuff and you know you can like really brutal black metal and 
if that's yeah. the way that you listen to music, it's like, why not try and take inspiration from all these different areas? And that's why I think the new album was so interesting because it's like a melting pot of everything heavy metal would be for the next 15 mm. years or something, you know? Yeah. Um, I think maybe if you were to t- make a broad statement about it, it was like heavy metal gained a bit more melody. I think the guitars gained a bit more melody and the songs became maybe slightly catchier than they were with the likes of Black Sabbath or, you know, um, uh, Budgie or whoever else preceded the bands that came about in the new wave of British heavy metal. So there's there's generalizations you can make about it. But at the same time, like we said, there's so many bands that are completely separate from one another on the musical spectrum that it, it's really kind of a bit foolish to, to say that it's a sound. Um, but anyway, yeah. So how do you feel about the phrase or the term new wave of traditional heavy metal? Uh, I have no problem with it. I don't know if I'd always apply it to us. Um, in a literal sense, yeah, of course, we are a new band that plays traditional heavy metal. It fits. It's just now that's almost a thing in itself where, like, I don't want to necessarily say that we are a new wave of traditional heavy metal band because I think, and this is me just being trying to be objective as possible about our own music and our own record and stuff. I think what we're doing is a little bit more, maybe a little bit more power metal, a little bit more commercial. um, Yeah. Mainstream for metal in that sense than say bands that, you know, they want to sound like it really is a demo from 1984 and like i fucking love bands that do that i think that's really really cool yeah but that's not for me and it's not what i'm trying to go for um and it's like when people say like who do you want to tour with and things like i'd be more than happy to you know i mean obviously i would and it's not a realistic thing right now but bands like airborne or dragon force even ghost and sabaton mm that you know aren't necessarily you know doing that pure true metal thing but i think in career terms and things that's where i would like to be that band that can bring kids in where they find us and then maybe they go and find you know riot city and Haunt yeah. and mm. all of the older bands like demon and grim reaper and stuff I, yeah, i'd yeah. kind of be that entry level traditional mm. metal if if that makes sense, that's, yeah, I get that's... you. Yeah, and and yeah, you mentioned a few bands there who kind of well, Ghost maybe not, but the others predate what would be called the new wave of traditional heavy metal, but have gone on mm-hmm. to have really successful careers, um, especially Sabaton, you know, doing a lot of stuff, uh, playing at Vakken and everything. But yeah, okay, I can see what you mean there, and that's not a bad kind of um, crosshair to have your sights on. But uh, so the question I was going to ask you later, but it's kind of come up now, is. Um, so, like, do you want to blend in with what's going on, or do you want to stand out? Because looking at your album cover, for example, um, they mentioned the bastard child of uh, Eddie and Vic Rattlehead. You know, the first thing I thought of was, that looks kind of like Eddie. And I don't know if that was by design, coincidence, or what. And, you know, the the, the logo is quite striking. You know, the Tailgunner font, I think, is really strong. But also, at the same time, there are several other bands who are using that approach of hitting is one example and there are others out there as well so it kind of follows on from the new wave of traditional heavy metal question is like are you trying to blend into something or stand out from something i i think genuinely we're just trying to do our own thing um 
if we were had no awareness whatsoever of like the new Watson stuff, we would still be exactly the same band. Okay. Um, you know, I say that wearing a, a Visigoth t-shirt, which has a know? similar metallic logo on it as well. Actually, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I love Visigoth, by the way. <laughs> if you if you play this sort of stuff, like who's going to turn down a cool Chrome logo at the end? Of no, the no, no, no. It does look great. That's the thing with the logo and the album cover is we also want people to instantly know what we're about. Yeah. The same with the way that we dress and, and all the rest of it, you know. Yeah. Well, it, it certainly does do that. And the first thing, the most striking thing that stood out to me was your logo and your artwork. And then you realize, yeah, oh, this is a band I'll probably like before you listen to them and before you turn it on. So that's that can be helpful, I assume, as well. So I do want to have a look at your album, go through a few of the tracks that stood out to me and a few things that popped into my mind when I've been listening to it. I've listened to it quite a bit over the last uh, week and a bit, actually, so I want to talk about that, but before that, um, I wanted to ask you, so you said you wouldn't mind being a kind of a, a gateway band for fans, if you could get to that point, you know, um, and also you're, you're, you're kind of doing your own thing. You want people to know what you're about with the logo and how you dress and all that type of stuff. But what I wanted to ask actually is, do you think there's a future for old school traditional metal? So do you, like, what do you see the scene looking like in five to 10 years time? As a person who's done a lot of research into the music business and, you know, exercised restraint before launching their band and put all of these different components into the how the band was presented and all, like, what do you predict is going to be the situation in five to ten years time for bands like you who are doing traditional heavy metal and the same type of presentation as you have? It's so difficult to say. Um, at the at the end of the day, if you look back 10 15 years the scene of bands playing this sort of music has grown so much mm. um maybe not at like the top level but it's certainly broadened there's certainly more bands than ever and that can only be a good thing um something i think that's really really good about the scene is the fact that it is a global scene and you know every band from one country can know about bands from other countries and that pushes people to make better music. If it was only three or four kind of known bands, even in an underground sense around the world, then there's not as much competition. Whereas now, like even to break through the new Watam scene is a difficult thing to do because there's a lot of cool bands. So I think that's a good thing. Um, I think it's very difficult to see if, you know, this will ever become a mainstream thing i'm not so sure mm. but it doesn't need to be at the end of the day i think that's not what a lot of these bands are doing it for um like i said with us that's why i don't necessarily see us as a new autumn band um i think just sonically as well there's a little bit more of like the you know power metal thing you know not too much but maybe in like a british sort of way yeah so it's it's very difficult to say, I think, where the scene's going to be in, in 10, 15 years' time. But the fact that there are so many bands around is only a good thing. Well, I'll, I'll just counter that by saying, so I know you've got a slot on Keep It True Rising in October, which I'll be going to, so I'll see about that. But um, with so many bands being around, does that not limit the opportunities for all bands? For example... Many of your peers, contemporaries, who I called out, who were mentioned in that classic rock article, Eliminator, for example, UK-based band, Toledo Steel, they're not playing a Keep It True Rising because you've come about and 
are probably making a bigger splash. With the such a vast number of bands, surely that means there's so few opportunities for everyone. Um, if we're the band getting the opportunities, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> You know, but they're all wicked bands. You know, we had, uh, unfortunately, they had to pull out, but I asked Eliminator to play our Manchester date on the tour. Yeah. And we have um, Rich from um, Toledo Steel's other band, Termination Force, opening for us in Southampton. Mm. So, you know, if we're starting to get opportunities that other bands aren't, it's not necessarily a bad thing just the same as if other bands like us get opportunities that we don't is hopefully we can all kind of build each other up it's like yeah and i'm sorry that, that's that's not even what i was getting at by the way what i was saying though was just when there were so many bands and so few opportunities like keep it true is, is a festival you know there's other ones pyrenean warriors there's um uh, muscle rock and there's uh whatever you know a couple of other ones around europe mainland europe and they will take on bands like Tailgunner and Eliminator and whoever, um, Seven Sisters or whatever. But like, there are still very limited slots for those bands. So, like, I don't know if if the if the if the scene growing like more and more larger and larger with more bands. I don't know if that's a good thing for existing bands and especially bands that are just starting out. It must be so difficult for them to to get any of those slots. Well, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like I said, with you know the amount of bands you push each other to do better um that was certainly a thing for me when i was writing this album as i had right city's debut mm. and i was like oh fuck man i need to write better songs you know <laughs> so um they've upped the ante yeah they they certainly did they certainly did um so you know if if there's bands that aren't getting opportunities and you know hopefully now us working with uh, the dragon guys we can start to get on more of these festivals and stuff but that's going to be an eye-opener in itself playing at these places and you know like with keep it true with enforcer and ambush evil invaders and mm. you know that's going to be an eye-opener for us actually playing with those bands because then you get more of a like direct comparison of, of where you're at and i'm sure that we'll come away from those shows wanting to be even better you know so i mean that's the music industry in general is you know someone's always going to get the the chances that others aren't but at the end of the day i think certainly with the sort of bands that play keep it true and these other festivals around europe they're doing it for a love of, of heavy metal you know hmm. sure yeah. so that's not going to change it True. Okay, uh, and as perhaps maybe new festivals will spring up, spring up in the you know in the scene based on the fact that there are so many bands. Um, all right, so let's just have a look at some upcoming stuff as well. Um, well, actually, something that happened a few days ago. So you had your midnight album launch for Guns for Hire uh, live on YouTube. A couple of technical difficulties, but you got there in the end. Uh, I was online yeah. for that, and uh, how did that go? I, I saw the comments coming through. Obviously, they're very positive and stuff. But how did you find that experience? It was the craziest thing, and it, it still is, actually, to listen to the record released. Because mm. um, I, I obsess over this stuff. Like, you know, I wrote nine out of the ten tracks, and, you know, everyone prefers the one track that I didn't, which is, you know, which is nice. <laughs> but um, Which one is that? 
Rebirth, the closer. So Craig wrote that one. <laughs> Everyone's like, man, I fucking, I love Rebirth. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. If, yeah, yeah, if yeah. we have an album and I didn't write a single track because the other guys had better songs, that's absolutely fine. But it's just like, okay, Craig, write more songs, you know? Um, mm. It's the, uh, the Empire like, of the Clouds of the album. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but like the the way that this album came together is like the first 10 songs I wrote, that was the album in like 2019. And every mm. time I wrote a song that I thought was better, mm. it would replace the weakest one. Okay. Just over and over and over and, until we went to the studio. So I've listened to the album a lot, trying to like grow it and improve it and, sure. and things. Um, and also to have it, it's weird, but I feel like as, as a songwriter, the more you listen to yourself, the more objective you can be about yourself. Yeah, and that's something I I certainly try to be as objective about my own work. Like I know where we still need to be better, and I know what we can be better at, and things. Mm. Um, but it's surprising because I wasn't expecting it. But to hear the album now it's released, it feels like a totally different record to what it has done for the last you know however long two and a half years that we've been sat on it. Yeah. So that that's been cool. Is is it that you're listening to it almost like from the perspective of somebody who's never heard it? You're trying to put yourself in their position. Well, that's that's what I've always tried to do, but it's I think more for me is listening to it now knowing that other people are listening to it too. Mm. Like Yeah, I get you. Yeah. It's like when the intro say, you know, you press play in the intro of Shadows of War and I'm like, shit, like someone's going to press play on this album that you know someone's told them to listen to and hear this and then in that <laughs> way it's, it's totally different to my ears you know mm. yeah i know what you mean yeah okay good stuff all right and then uh you have a gig coming up at the carton horses of all places on the 28th of yeah. july um so that's interesting obviously you know it's a historical site Iron Maiden played their first, uh, some of their first gigs there or they were kind of a resident band there how important is that to you uh, as a historic thing, it's really, really fucking cool. You know, I've I've played there before on like a a jam night kind of thing, mm. and I'm really looking forward to taking the rest of the guys, as especially Craig, because he's a bigger Maiden fan than I am. You know, right? And I called the band Tail Gunner, so it gives you some idea of how much she loves Maiden. Um, and the whole pub is just filled with Maiden memorabilia everywhere. The the ceiling is painted like the Brave New World Eddie and like all of this stuff and you know the history of the place. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really, really cool. And it's it's nice that it's the first show after the album comes out and it's also the last show before we, you know, go deep into the rehearsals for a couple of months for the tour. So it's gonna be a nice kind of like celebration of the album coming out and then we put our heads down and, and get ready to tour it. Brilliant. Do you get an opportunity to do merch and stuff at a place like that, or how does that work after the show? Yeah, we, we'll we'll have merch with us. Um, we'll have the album. Yeah. Um, hoping that the vinyl is going to turn up in time. It should be here any day now, so we should have vinyl as well at that show. But certainly CDs and then our t-shirts and things. So yeah, we'll we'll have merch. Brilliant. Um, so sorry. So did you say it was Craig's influence that caused you to call the band Tailgunner? No, no. I I called the band tail gunner um all right it's just saying craig craig is an even bigger maiden fan than me and i decided okay. to call the band tail gunner, so it gives you some yeah. idea of how much loves maiden was that because it was a good name for the band or because you really like that song 
because it was a good name for the band. I liked the okay. song, mm. uh, but trying to find a band name, like yeah. I, I have a dictionary and a thesaurus like above me on the shelf here. And in the lockdown, in the pandemic, I spent an hour or so every morning listening to a record and like just reading the dictionary, coming up with a fucking list of like a hundred names. And yeah, yeah. honestly, like 95% of them were taken and the I other know. 5% sucked. So yeah. Yeah. I, I only found one other metal band on metal archives named tail gunner. And it seems like they did something back a few years ago and did fuck all else. So I think you're probably safe. <laughs> I think we're safe. Yeah. Did you go and copyright the name? Or how have you been approaching that aspect of it? No, no, we, we never did. Um, we just started to use it and hoped that we would grow to a big enough point before someone told us that they owned it or, you know. So that's mm. that's what we did, basically. It's just, and now, like, with the deal and, you know, having the record out and being the biggest tail gunner that's out there now, I think it would yeah. be very difficult for someone to come along and say, actually, that's mine. Yeah, I'd say there'd be a strong case uh, to say that you own it. Okay, uh, that's good. Uh, so, yeah, sorry. Another thing I wanted to ask you, sorry. So um, you've got dates coming up. Obviously, you've got your first album in the can. But how do you feel you'll approach the future now? Will it be more of a focus on touring or will it be more songwriting focused? Both for me. Um, like what I do with with writing so for the first record, it's like I said to myself, I give myself three years to try and write an album because if I needed more than three years, then I probably wasn't supposed to do it. You know, yeah, yeah. I think three years is not enough. So I spent like autumn 2018 to autumn 2021 writing the first record. Hmm. And then because um, we recorded, we added like a few songs on after the, the studio. Um, and then now I've got autumn 2021 to autumn next year to write the second record so there's there's seven songs done um and we're we're looking to finish this album um but at the same time now we have to go and tour the first the first record so you know like bringing in dragon productions and you know having them as a booking agent is really really cool for us they're the guys that we wanted to work with and Bart and stuff. Obviously, they got Michael Schenker and Enforcer and Exciter, and so we're mm. in the right place. And now we just want to. Twenty twenty four. The focus on the live front is Europe. Mm. You know, we're we're doing the headline tour for the record in the UK this autumn. Yeah. We get over to Germany for a few club shows before Keep It True. Mm-hmm. But um, next year we just want to be all over Europe, and we'll we'll tour this first album for you know hopefully a couple of years. Yeah, good stuff. Okay. Um, so, like, you know, obviously you're inspired by Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, etc. The old model of releasing an album every year, touring, and then writing a new album, do you think that's dead and buried? Yeah, I think that's that's long gone. Um, just because I think there's not as much money in the physical side. Well, obviously streaming didn't exist back then, but there's mm. not as much money in the physical side of things. So I think now you have to go and tour for longer to really get the value out of releasing an album. Um, yeah, because releasing releasing an album is not it's not like a great financial thing for a band to do. It's like it mm. used to be the tour was a way to sell the album. Now yeah. the album is a way to sell the tour. You know, mm-hmm. 
yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, right, so let's have a look at this album, uh, Guns for Hire. It was released on the 14th of July. 15th of July, sorry, but your, your YouTube... Your YouTube Was it 14th? Yeah, so midnight for, uh, on the 14th, if that makes sense. Okay. I suppose that's technically the 15th, but anyway. Uh, no, no, no. Midnight, well, midnight on the 13th, if you look at it that way. So the uh, first... Okay, yeah, sorry, we won't we won't split hairs about it then. <laughs> uh, we won't fall out about it. Um no, okay. So um I did enjoy listening to this album. Uh like the dual guitar all over it is fantastic. It, you know, echoes of Iron Maiden, but the dual soloing very much echoes of Judas Priest. Um there's so many hooks and I wanted to ask you, you if I'm not mistaken, you wrote the majority of these songs, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So how did the songwriting process work then? Are, are you using an actual guitar or just a bass? Or are you humming melodies? Uh, are you coming up with lyrics and singing them, presenting them to the band? How, do, how does that aspect of it work? Um, so I write on a guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, for me, it's much better to write on than a bass. Um, and just the sound of like, I'm not a great guitarist, but the sound of like an electric guitar to me is more inspiring from a songwriting sense than writing on a bass. Um, and I'll just sit at home, write the song from like start to finish with, you know, the vocal melody, the lyrics and stuff, send it over to the guys. And then, you know, they'll just add their, their magic and stuff. I don't write the solos. I don't. I write the melodies for the harmony parts, but I don't put any specific harmonies on there. I leave that to the guitarists. Um, Sam will add, you know, different drum fills and then Craig works out all the vocal harmonies and things. But, you know, I'll write like the song in its most basic form, basically. So you'll have vocal melodies, guitar chords, that type of stuff going into it, basically. Uh, it, it'll be the same song, just like in its you know like in its most basic version okay so the, yeah. all, all of the riffs and the lyrics and and everything will be there and i'll just say to them right at this point of the song that's going to be the solo and feel free to add like a guitar harmony here and that mm. sort of thing very good okay um so like there's plenty of stuff on this where there's like a pre-chorus which is something i really appreciate in the song so before you get to the chorus you have a little kind of melodic uh, hook um so mm-hmm. even the opening song shadows of war that all i see is fear bit you know it's kind of bringing you into the chorus how important is that type of thing to you to me as a listener i love that because it gives the song more hooks and i think hooks are very important i i agree for me it's like it's all about the melody of stuff um you know even playing metal it's still the melody is the absolute most important thing. Mm. Um, and, you know, not just a, you know, melody from vocals, melody from guitar and things as well. Sure. Uh, and, and anything, even, you know, even the bass. But, yeah. like, the thing I like about a pre-chorus is it's that extra little, like, it's like if you're on a roller coaster and you think you've got to the top before it comes down and then mm. it goes up just a yeah, bit yeah, more. Yeah. It's just that yeah, yeah. bit more yeah. Yeah. suspense. So when the chorus hits, it it really hits. Sure. And actually, I know you're wearing a Visigoth t-shirt there. You said that earlier, but they're a great example for me. I've said this many times, but uh, they just have hooks all over the place and they're the kings sure. of pre-chorus, post-chorus, whatever the fuck, melodic bridge, uh, etc. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay, so um, 
The next song, Guns for Hire, uh, one of the more memorable riffs I've said on the album. But there's a, a lyric that spoke to me. It said, all the unbelievers, they can't drag us down. We rise and we never shall fall. So I remember you were posting up during the YouTube live, you know, airing of the album, what the songs were about. I didn't actually take notes at the time or anything like that. But um, is this about being in a heavy metal band or? That's exactly what it's about. Um, For me, like. Rose Tattoo have the song Rock and Roll Outlaw, mm. which is all about playing style of music and, you know, being that fucking type of person. Yeah. And I, I wanted a song like that, which is about the band, but equally about the fans of the band as well. And, yeah. you know, being a, being a heavy metal fan in, you know, this day and age, really. And that's what the whole song is about, is just taking on the world with your back to the wall and, not compromising and standing for what you believe in and not letting anyone give you any shit and doing whatever the fuck it is that you want to do and being yeah. true to yourself, you know? And like, I mean, you mentioned unbelievers. Do you get a lot of unbelievers? I, I noticed a later song, Revolution Scream, which seems to be kind of about the same type of topic. Um, you've mentioned that uh, this is our life forever we rise, silence the lies, no more deceit. Is there a lot of deceit, lies, unbelievers? or Just quick on that, actually, I think it is worth saying that growing up and playing these shows that we all we've all played where you turn up to like uh you know as a teenager to these bills where it's any fucking genre goes and you turn up with your long hair and your leather jacket mm. and everyone looks at you like oh god you know what the fuck it's like some you know bon jovi wannabe or whatever and e- everyone instantly gives you shit for yeah playing that sort of music growing up and i think that's where a lot of that comes from for me and where a lot of this band comes from in general is just like a big fucking middle finger to those people because ultimately you know we've proven to a small extent so far that you can go and still play this music and you still can go and be successful as a band in britain without sounding like the arctic monkeys or oasis you know brilliant so that that's where that comes from maybe maybe i'm just bare grudges (laughs) yeah okay You wrote a song called White Death, and somebody mentioned on the YouTube chat that obviously Sabaton had covered off that uh, about Simo Haya. I don't know how you pronounce that. He was a Finnish sniper during World War II. Um, does it get difficult to write songs about original topics, or do you even care about that? Is that a concern of yours if it's uh, if it's a good song? Well, I, I'm not the biggest uh, Sabaton fan, although I have a great appreciation for what they do because they just have their thing and they do it really well. Um, but there is a is a quote, something that the singer said, where you can't own history. And he was like, I don't care if, if someone else writes about these subjects because like we don't own them. Um, True. Yeah. And I, when, I, when I wrote that song, I had no idea about the Sabaton track. It was only ah. when I was researching stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't know. And I was researching stuff for the, the lyrics. And then I found that song and I was like, oh, man, fuck, you know? But at the end of the day, it's like, I'm not going to change it because, like they say, like no one no one owns history. Yeah. I think for me, it's actually it's a lot more difficult with, with riffs than it is subjects. Um, yeah. I remember... On People do own day, riffs, as, as we've proven in court over the last few oh, years. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was, there was a, a time a while back where I was with the guys and I was like, I've got a few new riffs and I showed them one. And then Craig said to me, like, that's that's just a Deep Purple track. And I was oh, like, yeah. really? Because, yeah. like, 
Richie Blackmore is one of my favorite guitarists, but I've never mm. been that into purple. I'm much more of a rainbow guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and he was like, yeah, it's just a rainbow track. And I was like, well, like, I guess I'm on the right path if I'm writing something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, no worries. I have another riff, and I, I played it. And Pat went, that's a Slayer riff. And I was like, for fuck's sake, man. You know? <laughs> Oh well, so, I mean, look, I mean, keep going. I I yeah. didn't notice much of that on the album. Now I did notice one of the one of the lyrics, one of the melodies sounded a bit like Iron Maiden, but it was on a song you didn't write. Anyway, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, so um, yeah, I'm not going to go through every track here, but um, just generally, the the thoughts were very catchy choruses, really catchy uh, melodic, like dual guitar memorable opening riffs uh, especially guns are higher um it's a revolution scream yeah i mentioned that already uh i was i was saying you you mentioned the power metal a few times when we were talking earlier on uh, the song warhead i was saying i can hear some european power metal in the chorus melodies so mm-hmm. yeah um I, I i definitely agree with that and some of the songs and there's some really nice rob halford vo- rob halford-esque vocals in that one uh crash dive i think is um, one of the catchiest songs on the album. It just really stands out. It's really memorable. It's like an earworm. But um, I was wondering, is it about... I had to Google the phrase just, like, you know, because I didn't know what the hell it was. Um, is it about that film from the 1940s or what? It's uh, about a film called Das Boot. All right, okay. Which right, is, there's, uh, a, there's actually a film yeah, called Jennifer. Crash Dive from 1943, uh, which is. is what I found. <laughs> but anyway, das Boot das I've heard Boot. of, but I've never watched. It's it's a brilliant film, Um all in all in German and it's like about German U-boat crews in World War Two. Right. Um and it, it was really interesting to me because it, it kind of is it's extremely accurate and it also shows that just because they were like German, you know, soldiers in the navy and the army and things, it doesn't mean that they agreed with the things that Hitler was saying and doing. It's like you know, most of them thought that he was a fucking idiot, but they were just doing their jobs. Mm. And so for me, it's like there's absolutely no admiration in in war or any of that sort of thing. But I thought it was a very interesting thing how for those men, it was like it was their job to like hunt and and kill and things. And the idea of doing that below the surface and, you know, Mm. with with a great deal of stealth and things was very, very interesting and how calculated they were with everything. It was a really, really, really fun song to write, and you know that middle section where it's constantly changing riffs. Yeah, was... very different sounding riffing in that one to the songs that preceded it. Actually, out of a different guitar tone. Trying to trying to go for a little bit of like the merciful fake King Diamond thing, but mm. also kind of make it sound like you are in a submarine and like yeah, there's yeah, all, yeah. all breaking loose. And I, I think that we we achieved that. So that's musically, I'm extremely proud of that song. Very good. Yeah, it's one of my favourites. Speaking of sounding like the theme of the song, although I don't know if this is the theme of the last song, I have to mention Rebirth. Um, so I was saying a lot of your songs have war themes, but this one sounds like an actual war. It sounds like marching out to battle. Uh, very lengthy intro, the longest intro on the album. Um, I said it is. It reminds me of a bit of post-reunion uh, Maiden, but uh, yeah. there's, a, there's a, a quiet bit around uh, three and a half minutes. This is the first one of these that I recall from the album. 
and uh, loads of different sections and that very ambitious lots going on lots of instrumentals so i know you didn't write it uh, but it was a great song to close on i thought um i'm a big fan of closing the album on the longest song or an epic song and that type of thing so overall yeah great listen and i'm looking forward to seeing you live i know you're playing in the uk in october you're playing a keep it true as well you're doing a few dates in germany anything else you'd like to promote or talk about or where can people contact you that type of thing before we finish up Sure thing. So, I mean, at the moment, we are looking for a new guitar player. People can feel free to hit us up on our email address, uh, contact at tailgunnerhq.com. And as you say, we'll be coming over first European mainland show in Hamburg, October 4th. Then we're playing Essen and then uh, Filderstadt. And then we're at Keep It True, which is going to be a total fucking dream come true. Be really, really cool. Back in the UK, and then we're touring the UK from October 13th until the 27th. Um, as you'll know from listening to this, the album is out now. We have it on vinyl, which is picture disc in royal blue and uh, crystal clear as well. And it's available all around the world. So just fucking jump on Google and you'll you'll find it somewhere brilliant all right thanks very much tom i really appreciate it that was a fantastic interview and really fascinating uh, especially learning about how you approached the release of the album and how you kind of studied almost before bringing the band to where it is today and various other aspects of just being in the music business are always interesting to me and definitely interesting to the listener and you've also released an excellent album so what a fucking package for a podcast interview that was brilliant and i really appreciate it thanks very much thank you dude thanks for having us all right, so you heard the man. You know where to go to find Tailgunner stuff, and you should go there to find it because this is one of the best releases of 2023 for me so far. Anyway, I know we're in July, allegedly. But, yeah, go and seek it out. Go and find a gig that Tailgunner are playing somewhere in the UK or Germany if you can. They were recently announced as um, having Oath SC support them in Edinburgh and in... Uh, Glasgow, the two Scottish states and anybody who's been listening to this for a while will know that I'm a big fan of Oath and that's great to see and I think Tantrum are playing on those gigs as well and one other band I forget but uh, that's only a tenor in Edinburgh and in Glasgow uh, two examples of great value gigs that Tailgunner will be playing this year in October in their UK tour yeah also coming up Keep It True Rising so I'm definitely going to see them at that hoping to get to see one of those uh, October gigs as well and that's Oath playing their first ever shows by the way fair play to Tailgunner for including a local band who hasn't even played a gig as support on their upcoming shows. But overall, I really enjoyed chatting to Tom. I'm sure he'll be back again because I can't see how they can be anything but an enormous success based on their approach so far, based on the music. They're the total package. I'm going to stop with the wrestling references. Okay, thanks again. That's been episode 83 of Feckin' Metal. I will see you next time. I've got episodes coming up with uh, George, another new wave of traditional heavy metal episode. We did the intro episode there a couple of episodes back. I've got another one in the can with him. I've got the famous, infamous quiz episode with Armstrong Gunn, which I've been pestered by a couple of people about recently, so I'm going to hope to get that out next. And that's everything I think I have coming up. Anyway, I'll see you soon enough. Hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you next time. Adios. Adios.